tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Summer of 76, Omaha Unclaimed Inheritance, and Georgia Chapel Murders. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your secondary co-host, Robert. And this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Um, so tonight we're going to be talking about season one, episode number six. Uh, if you've been following this podcast at all, we've been going sequentially from the uh, first Robert Stack season. Um, and so our episode one is... is their episode one so now it's our episode six episode six summer of 76 (laughs) um how you like them apples i i don't think i uh i could have kept all those numbers straight in my head uh i said so we're episode six (laughs) yes i slipped in three sixes i which will uh will play into the theme of the first segment that I'm going to discuss this evening, uh, are we are we ready? It's a it's a it's a heavy hitter, but we're gonna go for it. It's also a two parter, so you know to resolve this, you're gonna have to tune your radio dialer <laughs> in next week. For the resolution of uh, segment one. Same rump time, same rump station. That's right. Uh, so. Uh, summer of 1976, New York City. Ring a bell for anyone yet? Um, yeah, we're talking about it, son of Sam. Uh, so we start the episode, uh, Robert Stack, who is, I think, still in front of the Queen Mary. They really should get him out of there. He introduces the episode uh, by by asking us the question, did they really put the right guy away? The right guy uh, that they did put away was uh, David Berkowitz who's pretty pretty infamous dude um or was there more than one shooter and that's what we're going to talk about so we're not really going to get too much into all the nitty-gritty details of the actual murders that david berkowitz uh uh confessed to um but we are going to talk about maybe some alternative explanations and theories uh about the son of sam or son of sam's nope Uh Son of, of Sam's shooters. Yeah. Oh boy. All right, here we go. So, in uh, J- July 20 something of 1976, a uh, two girls were shot in a borough of New York City. Used uh, The shooter used a 44 Bulldog uh, revolver. Uh, in October later of that year, uh, in Queens, New York, a man was shot. In November of 76, two girls were shot, both survived. Uh, one was severely injured, however, and will never walk again. Uh, so, you know, while this was going on, just for a little context, um, while this was going on in New York, uh, it was pretty widely publicized that these shootings were going on. And to hear people who lived in New York City kind of, or and certainly in the boroughs, because most of the activity happened, I believe, in Queens and the Bronx, 
um, you know, people weren't going out. They weren't going out to bars. They sort of just kind of hit at home that summer. I, th- I think there was a pretty long shadow that these killings ca- cast across New York during that time. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, the summer of 76 has been recounted in a number of movies. I know Spike Lee uh, factored it in uh, to a movie that he made back in the 90s. Um, of course, we have The Summer of Sam which was, I think, about the case specifically. I mean, the list goes on and on about how many times uh, David Berkowitz and and these murders have sort of entered the pop culture sphere. Um, <clears throat> I think part of the intrigue was uh, uh, there seemed to be a lot of disagreement on, on what the Son of Sam actually looked like like so <laughs> we if we get uh from, from because he didn't kill everyone that he shot um we get a number of composite drawings and there's also a really key eyewitness to one of the shootings um who was an auto mechanic whose name i didn't get sorry uh he's interviewed extensively throughout the segment um was that the guy who looked like keith hernandez I don't know who Keith Hernandez is, but we should <laughs> we should call him Keith Hernandez from this point forward. Who's, okay. Ke- who's Keith Hernandez? He was a professional baseball player for the New York Mets. Oh, okay, are you? So we're both referring to the guy who had dark hair and a mustache. Hair and a mustache. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so Keith Hernandez. Keith Hernandez. Keith Hernandez was the eyewitness uh, to one of the shootings, and um, he was able to produce uh, descriptions for a composite sketch as well. We get a pretty good shot during the segment of all the composite sketches sort of lined up next to each other. Uh, One of the arguments that is being made uh, is that they don't seem to be all of the same person. Um, And, uh, you know... (laughs) Um, and because it will come up in another segment on this episode with with the faultiness of composite drawings mm-hmm. and eyewitness testimony, um, you know, I'm a person who gets confused in a movie if there's too many like white actors with brown hair. <laughs> like I don't, I get, I get really confused. Um, I also like I was watching a movie recently and um, it had Amy Adams in it and Isla Fisher and. <laughs> And if you know who those women are, they're, you know, they're very attractive, uh, petite, redheaded women um, who look fucking identical. So I, I couldn't get through the movie. I didn't know what was going on because I didn't realize it was two different people. So I'm just and that's me. And I'm I'm not being held at gunpoint. I haven't been shot and I can barely I can barely tell these people apart. So under right. the, I, yeah, I mean, the, the, the segment like. I mean, you know, that they mention, you know, possible problems with eyewitness testimony, but the segment kind of seems like it's pushing you to think that like these are all distinct individuals mm-hmm. when watching this. I mean, I just to me it's just like, yeah, like none of these these people are all just describing the same person in wildly different ways. Right. And even when you line up all the composite drawings, it kind of looks like the same guy to me, but I'm not a detective. So (sighs) anyway, uh, so the uh, son of Sam, as he's come to be known, sends a letter to a journalist um, at a newspaper and uh, that 
I don't know what happened. I think the letter was published. Yeah. I, yeah. Because, every, sure. because everybody seemed to know about it. And that's the reason <laughs> they weren't leaving their house anymore. And um, there was a lot of cryptic stuff. Uh, we get the name Son of Sam from the writer of the letter referring to himself that way and also taking credit for the shootings. Uh, he, it might be in the first letter or second letter, he makes um, some allusion to, uh, it was the 22, 22, like 22 demons from hell or something like that. Um, it, it really appears to be kind of the rantings of a madman. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's definitely sinister. Um, so between November of 1976 and most of July of 1977, there, there aren't any more shootings. However, on July 31st, 1977, the son of Sam struck for the last time. A couple was shot. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. This was where the mechanic, uh, Keith Hernandez was a witness. Um, and <laughs> then we get from Keith's description, we get a fifth composite drawing. A fifth and final one. Uh, to me, who doesn't even... It, the drawing doesn't even look like a human. It looks like somebody, <laughs> like, drew a bird. Uh, so, I don't know... I don't know what to make of that. Uh, so... Folks, he suspects uh, his nose was longer. Uh, yeah, I mean, it really... It looks like a bird. It's, yeah, it looks yeah. like a bird with feathers. Uh, it was a lot more... Uh, Red. What? Well, what? What? You know, I think maybe Keith Hernandez, the auto mechanic, was saying is maybe you should look for this guy down on Sesame Street. <laughs> Damn, is Sesame Street in New York? I think so. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be. Okay, so this is not so much a, a a summer of Sam situation as a summer of. God, what, what's what's what are what's the bird birds bird on? I'm sorry, we're, we're, I, I, I've I've driven us uh, out of the Bronx and into Sesame Street. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll stop uh, talking now. <laughs> do you want me to edit that out? I can do that. I have the power to do that, Robbie. Coming soon on Sesame Street. Uh, only if uh, well, yeah, unless like upon listening to it, you 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 find it. You judge it to be comedic. Um, okay, I'll yeah. use I'll use my good judgment then. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, getting back to um, what was called one of the victims' last name was Mo Moskowitz. Uh, so it's called the Moskowitz shooting. Um, so at that shooting that the mechanic witnessed, uh, the police had found at the scene a parking ticket. Um, and then they, from the parking ticket, they were able to track down the vehicle and the intersection, uh, where the assailant had, had parked. Um, so they find Son of Sam's car. It's a Ford Galaxy. Uh, so they decide to stake out the car and wait for whoever it is to return. Um, in this case, it's David Berkowitz. The cops nab him at his car, and uh, on his person, uh, Berkowitz had the, a forty-four uh, revolver. Um, so, Berkowitz allegedly, when he was arrested, um, said, "You know, ask the cops what what took you so long to find me." Which, oh, so creepy. Oh uh, yeah, the, the way they shoot this in mm -hmm. the reenactment yes. is probably 
one of the most unsettling moments in this entire episode. Yeah, and they and they managed to find a, a an actor who looks very very much like the real David Berkowitz. So when police bring in Berkowitz to the to the station, Berkowitz confesses in like a hundred percent recall of all details to all of the murders. Um, and then the reasoning he gives for having done this is because his neighbor's barking dog um, gave him orders to kill. <laughs> uh, so I, I guess I guess I shouldn't really laugh at something that led to to multiple murders, but I mean that I I have to admit there's been times in my life. Mm-hmm. Not not necessarily just dogs, but like coyotes at you know out behind my house or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they, you know, if they just don't shut up, eventually you begin contemplating like you know a murder spree. But and usually it, like it's a murder of whatever damn dog won't shut up. Well, I <laughs> yes, I agree. Um, I I was also in my state that I was in while I was watching this segment, I was trying to put myself um, in sort of the mindset of perhaps somebody with uh, some mental illness uh, that involves hallucinations. And, and I could almost imagine like in the undertones of a dog's bark, it telling me to kill. And I was like, I got really creeped out by thinking about that. But um well if it's an aggressive enough dog it's uh you know that that, that sort of barking can I, I would say of any animal sound probably mm-hmm. is 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 the best for you know conflating with like you know satanic murder orders someday in every religion we all have a judgment day and i think whoever god it is says okay dog what did you do for your fellow man Hopefully he can hit rewind and watch the things I did do. Yeah, or, you know, sometimes you hear, like, voices in the hum of a fan. Stuff like that. Well, I don't know what you're talking about there. That's just crazy. (laughs) There's some people out there that do. What's up? What's up? What's up, burners? Um, Yeah, they probably, that's just me. We should move on quickly from this. Uh, Okay, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this has gone <laughs> off the rails. Uh, so the so the mechanic uh, Keith Hernandez, when they brought Berkowitz in, didn't recognize him from the shooting. He said, "That's not the guy that I saw." Um, and and in the midst of this whole tale, as we get introduced to this other detail of a suspicious yellow VW Bug, um, which apparently was speeding away from the scene during the during the uh, Moskowitz shooting. Um, so, so it seems like for whatever reason, there's a district attorney and some other folks that are, there's a uh, journalist as well. Yes. Yes. Uh, Maury Terry. Terry, Maury Terry. Yeah. Terry Maury. W- yeah. Well, what, one way or the other who, who wrote a book called yeah. the ultimate evil. Yeah, and you know what's funny is that like he was putting out that book right about the time they were filming the segment. Yeah, How I, strange. 
I have to admit, he was, uh, for me, he was the most questionable uh, interviewee they had on this segment because, yeah, he seemed to be more just looking for a way to get some sensationalization to sell more books. Uh, Yeah, well, that's seems highly likely i mean that's usually when people go on their publicity circuit is when they're putting a book out um so but but in 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 collusion not collusion i'm sorry but also the da is saying that there may have been other people involved in the shootings um for what reason though what reason would people get together and make a plan to kill other people i robbie can you think of a reason why more than one person might have been involved i mean really think about it why that would happen yes Uh, wait you're right (laughs) satanic cult you're right (laughs) oh are, are we allowed to mention that i thought like we're uh they no they just they tease us with it and that's basically where the segment ends right now is as we get yeah. we get a drop on uh, the satanic panic uh, in in Queens, New York. So that's I mean, that's it. We So like I said, this isn't we don't get a ton of details about the murders. And um, what we do get as an intro to, is Maury Terry's forthcoming book and um, some conspiracy theories. And that's that's what this is about. Yeah, let me tell you my my theory about the two guys in the OVW mm-hmm. who, who stop and they go into the park. Either they're going there to score drugs or they're going there to score something else. Um, and mm-hmm. the you know the reason they drove away real quickly was I don't know uh, gunfire. Gun I mean, I get that a lot of there. Yeah, yeah, you know they. Uh, you know, they hear some gunshots and they're, you know, they're paying attention to the news like everyone else. They're like, holy crap, that's, that son of Sam guy is like right around here. We got to get out. Well, and they knew it was him, too, because he was wearing his work name tag that said son of Sam. on it. <laughs> now, what I noticed in like the reenactment and maybe I wasn't watching it correctly or, or whatnot, because they said that they found the parking ticket on the ground and they tracked tracked it you know tracked it down uh that helped them track down the guy's car but it seems like when the the old woman who um you know like her friend dropped her off and they were sitting there talking while being triple parked which i didn't even realize was a thing but apparently (laughs) it can be it's the it's the club sandwich of parking yeah yeah it's um and it's funny how like she's so indignant that uh, the son of Sam honked at her for like honked at them for like basically blocking the entire road and she describes how she she gets out and you know she gives them a nasty look and it's like well you know you you are blocking a road I, you know it's not like he's entirely unjustified but uh, what I found interesting was she later just. Dis- I think it was her who witnessed, or maybe it was Keith Hernandez who witnessed, like, um, when uh, the son of Sam gets back to his car and there's the parking uh, ticket. He It looks like in the reenactment he grabs it and he just throws it inside his car. That That's not right, right? I mean, he, he throws it on the ground, or am I just 
mis misperceiving that. Um, I think it was just a, a error of re reenacting that they overlooked. Okay. You know, I mean, maybe it was stuck to his boot or something when he got out of the car. I don't right. know. Right, and you know, they they go to a lot of effort to like create these overhead maps of the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And to me, this segment felt like they were devoting a lot of time and a lot of effort to like really throw a lot of doubt in your 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 mind about whether the son of Sam was a single individual. I guess it feels like they're trying to do that to like make you maybe make you a little more credulous about mm -hmm. <laughs> about alternative theories that will come along in the next episode. Well, I uh, yeah, I don't want to get too much too much no, 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 further no, no, no. into the next episode, but certainly what it feels like they're doing here is they're making a bunch of non-sequential statements and just kind of throwing <laughs> shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. Which is a horrible way to write an essay. Uh, you know, <laughs> each paragraph <laughs> needs to lead into the next one. I learned that in graduate school. I'm laughing because I knew where that was going. <laughs> So I guess that leads us to um, the next segment, yep. which is a Lost Air segment, which you know is, is probably my second or third least favorite uh, type of a segment on the show. Um, this concerns a man named Walter Green, also known as Curly. Lord, we give you Curly. Try not to piss him off. And in the great tradition of all men named Curly, he doesn't really seem to have curly hair or much hair at all um <laughs> on april 4th 1978 he died while doing yard work um and what they discovered was he had two hundred thousand dollars in you know 1978 money uh in stocks rare coins he even owned the crummy like small apartment that he was renting mm -hmm. um so, so was he writing checks to himself or for rent or i like you know i like to imagine that was the case mm -hmm. like you know because it probably gave him a chance to you know get some sort of social interaction even if it's just receiving letters from himself um but his story uh you know, this is this is uh, this is actually a hybrid lost heirs. Uh, I can't say lost love because he's they're not trying to reunite someone, but I guess tragic love story. Um, when that stretches back eight decades uh, to when Walter Green was just a young man of seventeen. And he was uh, he was crossing the country on rails. Um, which, you know, definitely, uh, I, I, I feel like that was, I'm sure people do that nowadays, but it seems like that was a little, like, you were going to find a slightly smaller percentage of crazy people doing that in the early 1900s. Um, uh, for instance, uh. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this. My father actually did that when he was uh, when he was uh, a young man. 
He rode the rails? Yeah. He left he left he left the family farm in like Arkansas or Kansas, wherever they were leaving at the time, and he just crossed the country on the, the rail network. Um That's a, that's in, incredible and I didn't know that about your dad. Yeah, yeah. I mean this this was like he had to have been fourteen or fifteen oh, when wow. he wow. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, I'm like afraid to drive more than ten minutes away from my house. Um, but yeah, he's um, he he was gone for a year, and when he returned uh, back to the family farm, uh, his father was like one of those very serious-looking men that you see in pictures of farmers in the Midwest in the early 1900s. Certainly. Yeah, and so his father, uh, my paternal grandfather, apparently said something like, "As as soon as my dad like walked up after a year plus of being gone, um, he, uh, uh, Grandpa, or I guess um, I never met the man, uh, said to my father, "Well, did you uh, get it all out?" To which my father responded in the affirmative, and then they just resumed life as it was before my father left. That's amazing. I yeah. I wish I had done any anything that adventurous ever. Right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, I my my father sadly has exceeded me in many ways. Um, but yeah, in this case, Walter Green, uh, he was on a, he was traveling on a train that was on the way to Omaha. He got off in a small town named Skyler, Skyler, and a man by the name of Al, and please correct me if I'm wrong here. I wrote down what appears to be Ramadier. Ramadier. Oh, I have I have no idea. Yeah, uh, picked him up. Saw him like you know walking along the the, the road. And brought him home, uh, which I, I feel is also probably something that was more common back in the, the early 1900s. Because, uh, I mean, who, who brings a, a hitchhiker <laughs> back to your house to eat and meet your uh, uh, daughters? Um, well, this was well before, you know. The son of Sam. The son of Sam or the Manson family or, you know. I mean, uh, it was it was probably like Ed Gain era serial killing, but he was never a hitchhiker, so it was probably a pretty safe bet. Yeah. So, like, um, when they when Walter is brought home to uh, meet the family, uh, there's two daughters, Jessamine and Catherine, mm-hmm. and he develops a romantic uh, affection for Je- Jessamine. Um, he's and one thing they kind of mentioned that helps establish later how difficult it's going to be finding a fortune for for this uh, finding who his this guy's fortune belongs to is, you know, the 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 family's asking him questions about where he came from, and he's just giving them the old evasion, like, yeah, you know, I kind of used to have a family or something or ever, and then he would change the subject, but. Uh, despite his evasiveness, uh, he is a, a jobs arranged for him to work on automobiles, um, which Robert Stack describes as still being a newfangled invention. 
And this was like this was not the only time there was a colloquialism that worked its way into this segment that I just found distracting. Because in addition to newfangled, you know, Robert Stack uses like the the expression "pound the pavement," and uh, later on describing the thrifty ways of older Walter Green uh, mentions how one person thought you know he just plain saved every penny he earned or, or something. It, it, it was kind of like Stack was getting a little folksy to match the the time period of the reenactment. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't remember if they uh, put this music in with the uh, segment, but I definitely had some, like, oaky, old-timey <laughs> fiddle music going on in my head as I was watching this, so... Music drop, some old timey folky. Yeah, I mean, if I feel like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, while he while he's uh, you know um, making his way working on uh, automobiles, uh, Walter Green begins to. I guess he's not really courting Jessamine, but he's you know romantically uh, uh, trying to develop some sort of a, a, uh, entanglement with her, and so this consisted of him like giving a bunch of money to her little sister to go go to the movies while him and her uh, Jessamine go off to the park or wherever it is that uh, uh, unchaperoned teenagers in the early 1900s go to. Um, one thing I want to point out, the movie theater that they drop the little sister off to, mm-hmm. it's shown to be playing the movie, the son of the Sheik. Mm-hmm. The son of the Sheik was released in 1926, many years after this, uh, reenactment. Oh, takes- you, you got him. <laughs> I did. You nailed him. Um, but yeah. I, I so I was a little a little excited about that to spot historical inaccuracy, and I imagine I could probably spot some in the clothes if I bothered to do the research. But uh, uh, but yeah, so unfortunately, World War One comes along. Uh, Walter joins the uh, joins the army. Uh, he serves on the Western Front, and when he returns. He, he he comes right back to the the house, you know, handful of flowers. Discovers that Jessamine has left for Omaha. Yeah, these these hoes ain't loyal. Yeah, he he moves to Omaha. Uh, I guess you know, not giving up on the dream, but she marries another man. Um, so Walter Green proceeds to spend the le- rest of his life alone. Uh, apparently his like closest friend is his barber, a guy named Riley, Riley Marr. Um, at least a uh, friend in terms of immediately where he's living because he apparently does receive some like postcards from Brooklyn mm-hmm. from someone that they never identify. Um, they can't track down. He, he made allusions to having a brother, but they, they, they can't find a de- definitive match for this person. Um, and at his funeral, uh, another little uh, clue that was thrown in was uh, he received flowers and a card were sent from a uh, Mrs. Joe Greener, 
uh, in Colorado. And, you know, the segment ends with no update. So I'm assuming that $200,000 did not get claimed by anyone uh, who was of, of uh, an immediate relation, right? Uh, I assume not. And also, I, I'm sorry, I don't know if you mentioned it just now, but it was the largest unclaimed inheritance in Nebraska history at the time that uh, Mr. Green passed. I I chose not to mention that because saying something like the largest unclaimed inheritance in Nebraska history, uh, you know, it just it kind of feels like, well, what's the runner up for that? I mean, it's you know, that's a good point. Nebraska. Well, Warren Buffett lives in Nebraska. <laughs> I'm sure his fortune will be claimed by many when he passes. Um, Touché. Yeah, but Touché. I'm just, not everybody's broke in Nebraska, so, that's all I'm saying. So, yeah, so, you know, as far as Lost Air segments go, this was actually a little more interesting, mostly for me just because it's a period piece. We got some period costumes. Mm-hmm. Granted, I don't... I. I can't. I can't really say definitively whether the um, the costumes for the uh, the two daughters are authentic or not. I will say that the uniform that post World War One returning Walter Green is wearing. I don't know about you, but it kind of seems like they got a uniform that was a few sizes too big for this actor because it, <laughs> it looked like watching a little you know little kid playing <laughs> dress up with an adult's clothes. I, you know, I, that's that's not what caught my eye. I'll take your word for it. What what did pique my interest is we actually get a pretty uh, solid cooking tip via oh, this segment. Yes, how could I have neglected to mention that? <laughs> do, you, do you do you since do you want to be the one who describes? Sure. So a lot of this story of Curly Green is actually told from the point of view of uh, Jess's younger sister, who's, yeah, who's now a elderly woman. But she relates how uh, thrifty Curly had been um, that he would take like a can of beans or or chili and in the morning he would place the can of beans on the pilot light of the stove. And so when he came back for lunch, the, the can of beans would be cooked to be just right. So, um, and, and, and what was particularly charming about this is there, there aren't a lot of stoves. I had one, uh, two places ago that I lived where there would be a pilot light on a gas stove that heated up the surface of the stove enough that you could feel it. Um, that's now we have, uh, sort of like auto igniting stove. So when you turn on a gas stove, it goes click, click, click. And then the flame kicks up on older stoves. Um, there was always a little pilot light that was burning and then you would direct the gas through the nozzle of the burner you wanted to turn on and the pilot light would hit that gas and turn it on. So the stove was always a little bit warm. So I thought that was really endearing and I liked that a lot. I liked it a lot. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I've never encountered a stove that was set up like that, but I I understood enough about like pilot lights and whatnot to, you know, be able to mentally uh, uh, fill in the blanks on that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, no, I mean, that was a neat trick. Um, for me, like, seeing that combined with the fact that he clearly had some sort of off-brand 
uh, <laughs> brand of chili. Yeah, it definitely wasn't Hormel. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Uh, and by the way, this episode brought to you by Hormel Chili. <laughs> Man. You know, we've... So far, like, we've tried to, like, get free stuff from um a barbecue place in la mm-hmm. bg sandwich shop in uh, uh medford yeah. and now for male chili yeah. like if, if this podcast really takes off yep i i'm hoping to like never have to pay for food ever again okay so <laughs> how many stacks a worthy goal uh how many snacks would i give this i don't like three i guess i Uh, it was kind of a bummer in the end and i you know i i i think we all learn an important lesson which is um unrequited love is is you know yeah you got got to move on man yeah seriously i mean it'd be one thing if they were madly deeply in love and like she was killed in a car wreck or yeah. something. But yeah. this, this is just someone who just doesn't just didn't want to have anything to do with them after a while. I mean, you know, they, they had their fun as, as teenagers, but she, she wanted somebody whose career path didn't involve working in, uh, with newfangled machines. Well, I, and I guess the joke's on her cause he died a fairly wealthy man. So yeah. Shucks. I mean, she would have been been eating stove chili, you know, the whole time. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I I'm assuming that if he had managed to to secure her her love and uh and to marry her, uh, he probably would not have died with the same amount of wealth because obviously he would have to be, yeah. you know, spending money on her plus giving uh, nickels and dimes to her little sister <laughs> as they <laughs> drop her off at the movie theater. As, as she's now a woman in her thirties and. <laughs> uh anyway Uh, how many snacks would you give this you know uh normally i'm not really one for lost airs and you know especially with such a downer uh sort of thing but this was a period piece and you know I, i i just i got a lot of enjoyment just seeing you know their recreation of the either 19 teens or 1920s, depending on <laughs> whether you believe that their ages or the release date of a film. Uh, I will give it three and a half. This one, I I'm just going to say up front, I think is pretty disturbing uh at least to me personally so just be be listeners be aware um so it's an unexplained death segment um and it takes place in 1985 in waverly georgia which is in the quote unquote baptist bible belt population 800 it is a predominantly black community um, so on March 11th, 1985, there was a brutal double murder committed, um, of a deacon of Rising Waters Baptist Church. Um, so, uh, Deacon Swain and his wife, Mrs. Swain, who had been, mar- they'd been married for 43 years. They were killed, uh, one night at B- Bible study at the church. Um, 
there were nine women who attended their their Tuesday Bible study. Uh, one of them, for whatever reason, had to leave early. And as she was leaving, uh, she encountered a stranger that uh, indicated that he'd wanted to talk to Mr. Swain. I don't recall if, if the stranger had uh, indicated him by name or he just wanted to talk to the man in charge. But either way, that fell to Mr. Swain. Um, he was described as a young white man, pretty disheveled. Um, police think he was a transient because of some glasses they later found at the scene that were kind of junky. They were just kind of beat up old glasses. Uh, and apparently they gave Robert Stack the actual glasses because we <laughs> cut to him fondling and putting his prints all over the, the glasses. So so unlike when they they gave him a fake pink diary. Yeah, for... no, he's like he's holding them and he says these are the actual glasses found on the scene. So I guess they're done uh wiping them for prints or I guess they're done with those. Yeah, I Do mean you... after you've taken the initial prints and done a, I mean what more good can you you get out of them? Do you think the producers of Unsolved Mysteries at some point had a both a prop and evidence closet by the end of this that was full of <laughs> Um, so, so you're, you're saying, you're, you're thinking like a closet that, uh, is, it's just a single closet that has both props and evidence, uh, stuffed into it. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, I gotta, I gotta imagine that they, they do. I mean, it, it is interesting cause they don't really, I mean, they're, they're, they're driving stack out to different locations to shoot, but I'm sure they have to have like a, a, some sort of production studio somewhere, right? Um, I get, cause like, uh, you know, they gotta be working, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I, I totally like the idea that they're, they're stuffing, they're stuffing in <laughs> these real life <laughs> murder mystery clues, like a pair of glasses a lot, uh, right next to, uh, a, a, a pink, pink diary that is just symbolically used to represent depressed main woman's diary. Wonder what other other things are, are in there too. Like I, I don't know. Maybe we should just like Polish make... sausage and saltine crackers. Yeah. Uh, maybe we should just keep like a running note anytime Stack gets a hold of like a, a weird prop that he's fondling in the interstitial scenes. I'm good for that, and I'm, right. I'm so intimidated that use the term interstitial. So I'm gonna. So let's let's return back to. Uh, okay, let's return back to this horrible crime that was committed in Georgia. Uh, so there was so Mr. Swain uh, goes out to the hallway to speak with the stranger. Uh, meanwhile, the woman who had encountered him first leaves. Uh, so she she will conveniently be our only eyewitness to to the man. Um, so there's some kind of uh, altercation goes on. Some shots are fired. Um, it goes quiet. The nine women and also uh, Mrs. Swain uh, take cover for a bit. Uh, but then Mrs. Swain, you know, worried for her husband, goes and sticks her head out from the from the chapel into the hallway. Um, at which point, presumably, more shots are fired and Mrs. Swain is killed. Um, the nine women end up sheltering in place for a little bit, uh, trying to decide what to do. Eventually, they make it to the church phone. Uh, the phone line is dead. They're not able to call out. After about a half an hour, um, one of the women makes a break for it and runs to her car to go get help. 
presumably at that point, whoever had, the shooter was had taken off. Um, police arrive at the scene. They pick up the glasses. Uh, they eventually question the woman who had, who had originally spoken to the shooter. Um, they discovered that the phone line to the church had been cut, uh, sort of indicating that this was premeditated in some way. Um, so we, we don't have much detail here. We get another really weird composite drawing in this segment. Uh, <laughs> we cannot rely on the eyewitness testimony is basically the lesson we should be learning from this episode. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, it was the best thing that they, that they have and, and do have. Uh, to this day, but uh, relying on it seems suspect. Um, so, uh, moving on, somewhere in Florida, a man who looks quite a bit like one of the Muppets um, is arrested for bragging to some people in a bar that he had killed a black preacher and his wife. Um, the man's name is Barentine. I want to say Barentine. Uh, later on, this man, Barentine, said he had made up the whole account. Uh, but then he couldn't pass a polygraph, and the and the the polygraph examiner um, seemed fairly certain that the man had been guilty of the crime that he had confessed to in the bar. Uh, so th- the church witnesses are rounded up. They're taken down to Florida, Florida to see Barentine through a through a double sided mirror, and um, they identify him as the shooter. Uh, so. He was or is, sorry, serving, I wrote down serving five years on weapons charges. And let's not get hung up on that. What I would like to talk about is what we get introduced to as the Kansas Bureau of Investigation. And it's another great moment in law enforcement history. (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. The Kansas Bureau of Investigation. That's what it said. Kansas Bureau of Investigation. Not the Federal Bureau of Investigation, not the Kansas State Police, but the uh, Kansas Bureau of Investigation. I, I, I don't want to um, d- distract from your main point here, which is, I, I agree, like, one of the things that stuck out to me the most was that there was a state-level um, Bureau of Investigation, but I thought it was Georgia, right? The Georgia Bureau or did they did they met or did Kansas come up as well? Um, no, Kansas comes up because uh, they ended up pursuing a lead of a guy that looked a lot like the original composite picture. So uh, there was a, a guy that worked for the KBI that had <laughs> that they had brought a, another guy in for something else, and he recalled that it looked a lot like the composite picture from the Georgia crime. Do you you think there's an X-Files division in the KBI? um, I think there's definitely an (laughs) X-Files division of the KBI. I don't know. The KBI sounds to me like one of these, like, pseudo-institutes that almost sounds real. Like, you could maybe get good medical information from them. Like the uh, New England Association for internal doctors i hope that's not a real thing but my point being is like it's it's probably it's it sounds like it's real enough but i'm dubious 
Yeah, you know, you, you've just cost us the, the ability to get the chance to get an endorsement from the New England uh, something of internal doctor something or ever's. Um, I know. Yeah. I'm I'm so I'm so sorry if that's a if that's, <laughs> that's a real thing. I'm so sorry. Please don't sue us. Please please don't. Um, I would never speak ill of the New England Bureau of Internal Internus. Um. I'm sorry. I, I'm sure you, you're getting to. Uh, you, you were you were leading us to a point before I I, I, I led us horribly astray. Um, uh, no, okay. <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> no, well, that's I just okay, I wanted I, to talk I, about I, the absurdity I've, of the KBI. That's okay. Okay, because I've enjoyed immensely enjoyed the last couple of minutes. I, I hope everyone else listening has because um, they can't. Yeah, they can't. I. I I yeah I have to admit like watching this episode just because I'd never heard of anything like a state level bureau of investigation so it's just I haven't I haven't either it was very very strange to me um but but at any rate uh, yeah. we get an update with this case so um and we went all over the place we were in Georgia we were in Florida we were in Kansas um so fifteen years later um a man named Dennis Arnold Perry pleaded guilty to to the murders in Georgia. My understanding is he was already serving time for something else. And then um, in addition to his his existing sentence, he got two more consecutive life sentences. So he'll be in jail forever. Hooray! Hooray! Justice served. Yeah, uh, clearly not with the help of Unsolved Mysteries because this was another one of those situations where the update was done in like a few seconds with just uh, text on uh, a screen. Yeah. Um. So clearly, the yeah, this guy, some something other than a, a viewer tip, uh, led led to this uh, this justice being done. Yeah, just another case of good old fashioned police work coming yeah, through. But, but- what I find strange, though, is because, like, they, they mentioned that this was someone who had, like, a personal grudge against the, the deacon. And they, they really left that lead hanging. I mean, we, we don't get satisfied with a confession you, or a motive or any of that. Yeah, you, you, you would think that, it, you know, the, 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 during the initial investigation, they'd be like, well, who has grudges against this guy? I, I mean, God, this is, yeah. Uh, well... And what I found really kind of terrifying, um, well, did they, just watching the the reenactment where they they run off the premise that like the killer had been casing out this place, and he goes and he cuts the lines and stuff. It was just so so unsettling to see that. I mean, and and the thing is, is like they're at a Bible study. There's like what a dozen of them there. Mm-hmm. You think that in that sort of situation, you're kind of safe, uh, you know? Like, well, you would think, but this isn't the last time something like this happens, unfortunately, in a black church in the United States. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah. So overall, in terms of my stack rating, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, it was you know, it, it was a standard. Uh, Oh, wanted. Well, this wasn't a wanted segment. It was a unexplained death. 
unexplained death, which yeah. is, is strange to me because we actually know, we know the, the death is explained. They were murdered and shot by this guy. This is just trying to find the guy. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, but in terms of these sort of true crime segments, uh, this was pretty uh, unremarkable, but the reenactment, like, I thought they did a real good job of, like, as soon as the woman who's leaving early exits, you know, that, that guy lingering in the hallway, the the depiction of, every you know, uh, everyone fleeing from the room, uh, and then just that creepy, like, following this guy around as he's, like, setting up this whole situation by cutting the phone lines. I'll give it, I'll give it three stacks. Um, I'll give it two and a half. I'm removing a point because it seemed, as you mentioned, to be filed to the wrong cabinet. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, actually, that's a good point. Um, Yeah, make mine two and a half. All right. Uh, so, Robbie, do you have a uh... personal unsolved, <laughs> a personal unsolved mystery? You know, I, I spent about half of this last segment trying to think of one. <laughs> um, did I come up with anything? Uh, I think I was going to ask you uh, what. Um, what do, what do you think? Like the most. Um, since since we're we're dealing with a multi episode length Son of Sam mm-hmm. running segment, mm-hmm. what do you think was was you know probably the most terrifying serial killer in in history? Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I I mean I mentioned Ed Gain earlier. He certainly was, um, one of the more disturbing. He was he was the inspiration for Norman Bates in Psycho. Um, he had a really strange fixation with his mother. Um, but I am not going to go with him. I'm actually going to go with the with the big kahuna. I'm going to go with H.H. H. Holmes. Um, oh, that Victorian murder guy. Yes. So, uh, the murder house, right? Uh, yeah. He. Uh, I, I, I don't mean to glorify no, no, how no. horrifying all of this was, but... During the um, the World's Fair in Chicago, I want to say it was like eighteen ninety four, six, seven. Yeah, um, definitely the turn of the century. There was this. Uh, there's so much information about H. H. Holmes. Um, there's a book called Devil in the White City. If you want to check that out, um, there there was an inspiration certainly. Uh, or he he inspired a character in American Horror Story Hotel. Um, so he's, this is another sort of infamous killer that, uh, runs the span of, of pop culture as well. But I think w- what really intrigues me about him, not only did he sort of design this hotel of horrors with trapdoors and gas chambers and, and all of this, and was able to essentially murder an endless number of people because there was a lot of folks coming in and out of Chicago to go to the world's fair um what really struck me about him is he was kind of a shyster 
And so he he would have contractors complete work for him and then just not pay them or um Ow. or you know skip out on all kinds of contracts. I think that's how he ended up in Chicago and I think that's how he ended up with his name if I remember correctly. H.H. H. Holmes was not his real name. He had already skipped out of town and started a new identity. Uh, so so he's, he's not an authentic Triple H. <laughs> Behold the king. The king of kings. No, no, he is not. <laughs> Um, but 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 to me that's just I don't know I mean guy who builds hotels and doesn't pay his contractors and right 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 and, I, I mean I can't think of anyone in recent history that sounds like that but no, uh, yeah no no I, I mean I, I'm genuinely impressed by the, the, this pick because while I was aware of H.H. H. Holmes and, mm. you know, the very basic details, I don't think I would have, you know, would have thought to go all the way back to to the uh, Victorian era. No, I mean, he, he we don't even know the, the extent of his crimes because we could we just didn't have a way of keeping track of people. Yeah, I, I, base, I, I, I typed in typed it in, in and. Um, like, yeah, the, the data they have is, uh, uh, approximately nine known victims, other unverified estimates put the number from 20 to 200. Dang. So that, I mean, that, that would be a pretty su substantial body count. Um, I mean, I don't think there's any other serial killers, at least in the last, century who, who who can get up that high right uh unless you unless you count <laughs> jim jones but that was uh that was a little bit of a different situation okay okay cool did you did you have an answer in mind for that question oh and most interesting serial killer yeah um <laughs> i guess uh i guess in my uh urgency to to think of a question i did not think of the answer um, I, I would I, I guess I, I would say that you know and this is probably more just a more of a my because I'm not really a true crime serial killer interested sort of person I you know I've, I've had many friends who you know have loads of books on on the topic mm -hmm. and I'm usually not it's just not something that appeals uh, appeals to me too much but i did really like that film uh zodiac with uh robert downey jr <laughs> yeah i i was i know that unsolved mysteries at some point covers the zodiac and so i was kind of like <laughs> biting my tongue on that but yeah i just watched that movie uh like not even two weeks ago i rewatched it yes it's yes ex and i had to turn it off because it was too scary y you know it it's it's a very compelling film. I mean, it's a film that I, 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 I sit, if it's on, I have to sit down and watch it. There's, and there's only like five movies like this for me. Mm -hmm. And it's just, um, there, there's something about the mood you get in when you watch this film. Um, it's, uh, you know, and I'm not, 
I'm really not even I'm not interested in movies about serial killers or that but this this film was just you know I think it was just the the inconclusiveness of it throughout you know not just at the end but throughout the whole thing like even when you get a conclusion it's just kind of like yeah this is an ending but you don't really feel like you know whereas with uh, you know fictional you know films like oh yeah they got finally catch the killer and this one they they play it like yeah they possibly figured out who the killer was maybe well the thing is they didn't yeah we still don't know so yeah yeah, I mean, you know, because, yeah, there's, like, all these characters going around, and they got theories, and, you know, they suggest it's the one guy, and it's, it's yeah, I mean, it just the the unknown aspect of it, and, and, the, and the idea that, like, the Zodiac guy is just want, could potentially still just be wandering around free uh, is, is just, um, it, it, it was, a, it, for me, that... The, that made Zodiac probably the more interesting uh, serial ser- serial killer for me. But you know, this is really more just a a love of the movie rather than the the story of the individual. We covered all the segments, so now we just need to give our our sign off, right? I think that's it for us. So. Um... Uh, if you enjoy the show, please go to our Twitter at Reenacted. Uh, retweet our stuff, like our stuff, uh, send us pictures of your used underwear or serial killers. Or Robbie, are you sure you want all of that? <laughs> Crystal, no, no one's gonna, no one's gonna be following our Twitter. So I. I feel safe in saying that. And uh, it's your funeral, man. You okay. can run that account. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Look at people's nasty drawers all day long. You did this. Just remember that. Uh, also, uh, like us on whatever social media you follow, or if we don't have a presence, uh, just share links to the this podcast. We're now on... We're, yeah, you could write us a, a review on iTunes. So iTunes, we're now on yes. iTunes, we're on Google Play. Leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. Um, so, Robbie, if you want to close it out. Oh, crap. Yeah, I was supposed to write down whatever Robert Stack says at the end of the episode, right? But he doesn't say anything at the end of this episode, does he? I don't, I don't remember. It, they, they close it with, like, an, an update uh, of, of Matt Michigan gas station incident. Well, on that note, so just uh, cue, cue the ending theme music.